Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of the Players' Lounge, the tennis podcast that focuses on the mental aspect of the game. My name is Jennifer Megan, I am a former professional tennis player, and I launched this podcast because I wanted to create a space in which tennis players could find tools and solutions in order to improve their mental skills. But this podcast is not only for tennis players, it is also for parents and coaches whose ambition is to help their children and players to reach their full potential. If you are a regular listener of the Players' Lunch podcast, thank you so much for your support. If you are new to the pod, welcome. And at the end of the episode, if you like what you hear, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe, leave comments and five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It will really help me to grow the visibility of the Players' Lunch podcast and to increase the Players' Lounge community. But if you're not listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, no worries. You can also listen to this episode on Google Podcasts, Deezer, Chromecast, Player FM, Overcast, Amazon Echo, Amazon Prime, Amazon uh, Music, TuneIn Radio, Podcast Addict, and so many more. <sighs> All right, it's been two weeks, my friends, and I don't think I have recovered yet. You know what I'm talking about, right? Roger Federer has retired. The Swiss goat is gone. And it's hard to believe. It still feels a bit surreal. That epic night, that epic double with Rafa Nadal. And I'm sure that like most of us, you were crying or getting emotional. And if you're not, you're lying. Um... But uh, joke aside, it, it was amazing to see him one last time perform at the highest level. And that's really what I want to do, what I want to talk about today. Roger Federer has performed at the highest level for 24 years. And I know that we're going to see 24 years of amazing highlights. And, and a lot has been said about how incredible and how talented he is, his technique, his superb technique. But I think that one of the things that we haven't talked about enough is Roger Federer's mental strength. You do not stay on top for 20 plus years if you're not an amazing competitor, if you're not an amazing fighter. And that's why today I really want to, to focus on Roger Federer's mental strength. I actually want to speak about the 10 commandments of Roger Federer's mental toughness and this episode will be divided in two parts that's why it is so crucial that you subscribe so you can tell you will not miss when I will release the second part but let's get right into it and let's dive into the Swiss maestro's mental toughness number one putting pleasure and joy at the center of everything and to me, it was a bit difficult when I was preparing this, this podcast because I've heard Federer talk a lot about pleasure and joy. And, and for me, it was a bit foreign because I'll share my story really quick. When I started playing, of course, it was fun. You're young, you win prizes, you don't pay attention. But very, very quickly, tennis became all about dedication and sacrifice and the fun completely disappeared Basically, if I was winning a match, I was feeling relieved. And if I was losing, it was the end of the world. But when you listen to Roger Federer, 
time after time, he was saying that, you know, he enjoys, he loves the game. And, and to be completely honest, sometimes I was getting a bit triggered because I was like, okay, yeah, you love the game. And, and when people say that, that, that idea of loving the game, I always felt a bit like, well, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, let's, let's cut the crap. But actually, what helped me to understand what Federer meant by that was thanks to his fitness coach, Pierre Paganini. And we will talk about him a bit more later in the episode. But this is how he defined pleasure because he said, okay, we're not here to, you know, just have fun and then make a fool and we, it's serious business. But pleasure is this. If you like something, you're going to accept to repeat it. And also, you will accept to get criticized, to get criticism and to get feedback. And if you like something, if you enjoy it, you will be curious because you will want to develop yourself. You want to improve. And that's pleasure. And that's the joy. And, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. And I think that approaching the game that way helps so many things. And if I make a, a quick parallel with my story, when I was a tennis player and when I was playing um, college tennis in the U.S., there was something that I was doing a lot is that I'd practice. There was one moment where I just wanted to have fun for like maybe five, 10 minutes. And, you know, I was just doing some tricks and I was having fun. I was really enjoying myself. And my coach was smart enough to let me do that because he knew that if I get those moments, then I would go back and work twice harder and I'll be more than happy to work hard. And of course, these were the moments. Every time I, I implemented joy, and fun were the times where I played the best. I don't know why I didn't stick to it. But when you look at Roger Federer, he was really clear about that, putting fun and, and pleasure at the center of the game. And that's what he meant. That's the, the Pierre Paganini's definition. So that's something that you can do. And also, he loved the life on tour. A lot of players complain about the fact that you know, they don't like to be away from the family for too long. Roger Federer, to the contrary, absolutely loved the life on tour and was so happy to travel with his wife and the kids and everything and and I think that also this is something that is very important you know this is if you want to play tennis at a professional level yes traveling definitely you would have to do it and and that's something that you need to enjoy and and maybe focus on on the fact that it helps you to discover new things new culture new people so so try to to see the the game with this eye of pleasure and joy. And I know that it's not easy because a lot of us, we grew up with this, you know, identity of like no pain, no gain. It's all about sacrifice and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, great. But at the end of the day, if we don't enjoy what we do, we go mental. And I'm a really good example of that. You, you just hate what you do and it's just about suffering. No, tennis is a fantastic sport and you should enjoy it. And, and now when I play tennis, that's really what I try to do. And I, it's, it's completely like not my nature, but I, I enjoy it more, more now that I don't play. So try to do that and you will see that it will really help you to enjoy and to be more creative and to actually try new things and to be, to be um, how can I say, to be eager to go, to go deeper. So that's um, number one. Number two, have a long-term vision. 
something that is so important because when I was listening to Roger Federer's final interviews, there was something that actually uh, I found very striking. He said that the thing is the, the most proud of was his longevity at the highest level. And then when he started playing tennis, he had in mind that he wanted to be at the highest level for like 15, 20 years. Well, 24 years, so well done. And it's incredible because you would think about the Grand Slams, you would think about the 310 weeks at the number one spot, but no, what he mentioned was longevity. And again, he didn't mention the the the, the result. And, and those things for me are incredible because when, when we talk among, among uh, you know, I would say not mediocre, but people who haven't reached that level, results are so important. And when you listen to those guys, it's about the, the love of the game. It's about the competing. And, and, and they know that if they do that at the best of their abilities, the results will come. So... Having a long-term vision for Roger Federer is something that is very important because it helps him to, to plan and to have this idea to kind of, I, I wouldn't say relax, but to understand that there will be moments where you need to, to learn things, that you will, you will have to, to build your, your tennis on solid ground. And a lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we are so focused on the result at this tournament, on the 12th tournament that's going to change our lives. At least it feels like way, but it feels that way. But we know the after, after why that it has absolutely no meaning. A lot of time won many nice tournaments in juniors and then we never heard of them again. But because in that tennis world, it's all about, oh yeah, you see comparing each other that at the end of the day, if we don't build with a vision of like, okay, this is my game, I'm building it now and in, in like, let's say three years from now, it will be very solid and I'm going to win a lot of matches. That's when you, you miss the part. And I will share like a quick story because I will tell you how, how fundamental this was for me, a big mistake that I would not do if I had a chance to play again. When I was 11, I had a coach who actually was, was a good one and, and uh, had that idea. He put this whole book together uh, for me and then he, he said, okay, would you be ready to lose 30 matches in a row and uh, to change your forehand. And I was like, absolutely not. I was appalled. I was so angry. I was like, I will never do this. Why do you want me to lose? You know, I was very dramatic. But looking back, it actually, it was a test to say, okay, how much can you endure? You know, that, that temporary losses that will help you to win in the long term. And I never did that. In my career, I was always about three matches in. If I something was not working, you know, everyone around was freaking out, and I was like stressed, and I didn't believe in my abilities to, to just like stick to something, and that's something that Federer, contrary to, to to me and to many players, was is like willing to do. Is willing to say, no, you know what, result will come. Let's be patient. So when you build your career, have a long term vision. You want to be a tennis player. You know that it's a long road. Don't, be, don't worry because at 14 years old, you're not winning the orange board or you're not winning a grand slam. You have time. We see now players are playing until like 41, uh, 42 for Venus Williams. I mean, come on. And, and it's, everyone has different careers. So, so build something and see long term. And, and of course, you have to be dedicated. But believe that it's going to work if you stick to, to your plan, to a good plan, of course. 
and that you, you're not so worried about results in the juniors, really, because it's, we'll, we'll see, it means nothing at the end of the day. It's a good indicator, but we've seen a lot of juniors getting lost uh, when they made the transition to the, to the senior tour. Number third commandment of Roger Federer's mental toughness, be the engine of your tennis career. What do I mean by that? When Roger Federer was 14 years old, he decided to, to join the National Training Center. And he called them and then signed it, and his parents didn't even know. He made a decision. And I'm mentioning Roger Federer's parents because I think that they are very, very good in terms of uh, managing uh, someone's potential, understanding their role in a team. I don't know if, if they did it, you know, consciously or not, but of course I don't know them. I don't live with the Federer family, but from what I, what I see and, and what it seems to be, they understood that the role that they had as the parents to support uh, Roger was important enough that they didn't get, need to get involved in the, in the training and in all the things. And then it was better for them to outsource that to the people who actually were in charge, meaning the coaches. And this is something that it's not easy to do. And again, it's not to blame parents because a lot of times when parents get involved in the training and then they say, oh, but this is what he needs to do for his forehand and this is how she needs to serve, they mean well, actually. They, it looks chaotic, but they have the best intention. But when you look at Roger Federer's parents, I don't think that they were involved that much. The only thing I, I know from, from what I've read that they did was that when Federer was 18 years old, they said, okay, your behavior is an issue and you need to go and see someone and then you work with a, with a psychologist. Um, but we'll talk about this later on in the episode. But that's something that is quite interesting. Every time they kind of said, okay, this is what you need to do and who is the person who can help you achieve that? We are here to support you. We love you. We are this basis, the foundation. But, you know, this is on you. This is your project. This is your game. And, and that's something that a lot of players, and even when you're young, this is your dream. This is your tennis career. And you know better what that, and than anyone what you want to achieve. And I'm saying that because a lot of time people like, especially what, you know, what I, what I call the, I don't know, the, the, the coaches who, who, who think that they know everything, but actually know nothing. They, they like to walk around and say, oh, he's going to make it. She's not going to make it. She sucks. This is, this, this. They have no idea. Honestly, when I look back, I realize how clueless a lot of coaches are, but they, because they, they're fronting and they're acting like they know stuff, they actually don't know anything. Only you know. So whenever someone I speak with someone and say, hey, what is your dream? I never say, oh, no, you're not going to make it. Because I know how hurtful it is when someone tells you you're not going to make it. And only you know. Then it's about how you're going to make it and who's going to help you to achieve your dream. But that's why I always tell players, what is your goal? What do you want to achieve? And I get very annoyed when parents start talking because I'm, like, I'm not talking to you. Because the people, the players are at the engine of the project, not the parents. Parents are here to support, coaches are here to help to achieve the dream. But that's why I'm saying from the early age, the, we, we need to, to teach kids how to become independent and how to lead and to be in charge. Because it would be very helpful, A, on the court to make decisions 
and to take responsibility and to and B to lead the career and to say, okay, I need this person and then they will make mistakes. It doesn't matter. It's their career. So so that's that's number three to be um at the at the engine and to really be clear about your ambition. Number four, that leads me to number four. Um build a team who's that is um matching your ambitions and again this is to me like maybe perhaps the most important thing it is so important to have people around you who actually are supporting what you want to do and i'm going to give you very uh, a, a very quick example if let's say you want to i don't know be top 10 in the world and you are you, because a lot of some people say okay but how do we know how to to choose i will tell you how do the, the does the person share the same value when you when you talk to this person would you actually enjoy spending time outside the court with that person do you guys share any things that's very important because you're going to travel with this person you're going to spend a lot of time with this person and you want to get along i don't believe in in uh, teams where the coach and the players hate each other but they have great success i do not believe that it it doesn't work very long especially nowadays with the younger generation forget it if people don't get along it will not last but that's number one and the second the second question is when you tell this person your ambition what his or her reaction if they say okay if they're like uh are you sure don't you think that forget it because you don't want this kind of people around you tennis is so hard it's such a mental game you you don't you cannot leave room for doubts if if the person doesn't believe that you can achieve that from the beginning just forget it just find somebody else i'm, I'm really serious oh it's better to have nobody than someone who's gonna put doubt in your head and i'm very serious about that when it comes to roger federer you can see that from the beginning he had like really good um, guidance from his parents and they were very smart to direct him to to people and the first person that comes in mind of course is peter carter peter carter is um you know the, the australian mentor of roger federer that was really um instrumental to this fabulous technique that we all love but also he was very like much a, a big brother mentor and he was helping um, and he, he was the one who told Federer that what's important is that he doesn't waste his talent. And I think it's, it's so important that for Federer to, to be, because I, I, what I'm saying is that a lot of times we talk about his talent, but a lot of players who were talented just vanished because... Because they were told that, oh, they're so talented, you're amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then it gets over the head. And Federer, they actually said that when he was younger, because he was so talented, I mean, come on, it's obvious. Sometimes he would get frustrated because he would see players who were, not, who were not as talented as him putting up a fight and beating him. And it was driving me crazy. Then he was very smart to understand that, okay, I need to do more That just be that talent so peter carter was was really like the the guy that uh, was fundamental to his game and and of course uh, for those who don't know it was very difficult because when federer won his first grand slam peter carter uh died a year before in, in a car accident so he was not able to see that and i think that also was kind of a wake-up call to really like work and, and fulfill his potential although he was on his way but that i think was was a crucial moment in his career then I will name uh, 
Pierre Paganini. I talked about him before when I was talking about the importance of, of pleasure and joy and fun in, in, at the basis of everything. He was is his fitness coach and he started working with him and actually Stan Van Vegan when he was very young. And he was that, that guy who always pushed the limit and, and was always um, trying to reproduce um, tennis situations in his training. And I think when we see Federer's movement, when we see how, how good he moves, definitely that's him. It was it was re- it was really like uh, the combination of motivation, hard work, and pleasure. So that that's something, and and to always stimulate creativity. That's what Pierre Paganini says in an interview. That that's what I was doing with them, and and I build that trust, and I build that relationship that really was was uh, yeah instrumental to their success. So this is the second person. Then I will name Severin Luthi. Uh, who is the the guy that you know the the behind the scene guy who's been with Federer for like fifteen years I will say or ten years plus joined officially as a coach in I think two thousand and ten if I'm not mistaken but was always around because they knew each other um, before and then they also um, Luti was part of the Switzerland Davis Cup team and and as an assistant coach so they they had really that. Again, that relationship based on trust. And again, it's a long-term... The, all these relationships we're talking about are long-term. Luti for like 20-plus years. Um, Paganini also for 20-plus years. So it, it's very important for him to have people he can trust and, and he can actually, and who always want the best, who always also have very high ambition. That's very important. And, uh, and of course, um, I will name also... Um, Tony Godzik, his agent, who left IMG. I mean, IMG for people who, I will say OMG, because for the people who know IMG is, is of course, you know, the biggest, if not the biggest uh, agency for management. And he left IMG to solely work with Federer. That's, that's a very big sign of confidence. And, and, uh, and he was able to do that very easily. And... <laughs> Looking as uh, looking at Roger Federer's career, that was a very good bet. Last but not least, of course, Mirka Federer, uh, his wife. I, I think for me, sh- she's definitely the most important person of uh, of his team, and um, and she she definitely was that person that that was uh, a player before. She she understood what it was to play Grand Slam, to travel on tour. Um, so that's why I think the fact that she was able to to arrange, you know, the traveling with everyone, with the kids, uh, is so important because she she knew and and she was able to understand the level of sacrifice. And I, I'm not sure that he would have had the same success if he had been with someone else because really she, for me, she she's like the goat behind the goat, definitely. And and we could see in. In his speech, when he is farewell, how how grateful he was because he said that you know she never asked him to to stop when she could have because he had won everything, but she was always very supportive. So so important to do that. Oh, and I forgot to mention someone else that was also very important, and he had a lot of great coaches. But I really want to give my kudos to Ivan Lubicic because 
they started working in 2016 and actually it was not such a successful year. And going back to the point of long-term vision, if people would have, you know, if Federer was like most people, it maybe would have been, oh, it's not working, let's not do it. But he believed that they were building something really nice. And he was the one, you know, even Lubitschin was the one who actually pushed him to be more aggressive with his backhand. And we saw what happened in 2017 in this incredible final Australian Open against Rafa Nadal. And we were all shocked how he was able to finally crack the code, crack the code of the, the top spin of, of Rafa. And, and that was something that was very important. But that, and thanks to Ivan Lubicic, because really he told him, OK, no, you can do it and you can, you can really be aggressive. So the importance of, of building a solid team is so important. And we see with, with Roger Federer in his career how those long-term relationships are so important. And, and it's not just Federer. We see like how, how those long-term partnerships sometimes are very important. I mean, Rafa Nadal with his uncle, the Williams sister with, with their parents, Richard and Orsine. Of course, they were already like in the, in the circle, but really it's sometimes important to kind of trust someone to, to do long-term work and to really build association according to your ambition. I, I cannot emphasize that enough build a team with people ambitious as ambitious as you are it's crucial uh, last but not least point of this first part of Rogers Federer's mental toughness is focus on your strength a lot of time we are taught that we need to work and improve our weaknesses and a lot of the coaching I think is is negative again not because people want to harm you, but because we are so focused on, the, on what we lack and not what we have. And the more I observe those great players and the more I see that they are so confident in their strength, it's because they work on it over and over and over and over. And that's why I think that when you're approaching your, your, your coaching, if you're a coach, or when you're approaching your training, if you're a player, you should really have this outlook of working on your strength. When I had a player and, and she had a, an amazing um, forehand, I mean, like literally she was like Verdasco, like a lefty, incredible forehand. What we were doing a lot is to really work on those shots at the end of practice because I understood that when you're able to finish on a good note and a positive, it, builds, it, it boosts your confidence. And what it does is that you will be more willing to work on your weaknesses because you will not be thinking that, oh, when the important point is going to come, oh, I hope that she doesn't play or he doesn't play on my weaknesses. No, you will, you will be focused on your strength because you would have worked on them. You know it's working. And you also know that your weakness is becoming better. So it's a bonus. So you, it will really take away the pressure. And that's something that really I understood. I witnessed even for myself. When people stop talking about my forehand and just say, put the ball somewhere, I was not thinking about my grip or anything. And focusing on your strength is very fundamental for if you want to be a good player, rely on your strength, know your strength. Sit down and ask yourself, what is my biggest shot? What is my biggest combination? What do I do? I always ask this question. What do you do at fall for the, for the deuce um, third set? So important to focus on your strength, to work on that, because it will help you win more matches. And you will see that you will be more willing to work on your weaknesses. 
All right, that's it for part number one. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to share this episode with someone. And uh, stay tuned for part two. It's coming up very soon. And until then, take care of yourself. Bye.